0: Hey, welcome to First Baptist Church Online. My name is Steve Polk, and it's an honor to welcome you to this broadcast. Our pastor has an incredible sermon series for us over these next several weeks. Beginning this week, we're going to be looking at Revelation, but we're going to be looking at Jesus through the book of Revelation. So go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word, your notepad and your pen. We're going to turn to Revelation chapter 1, and get ready to hear what God has to share with you today. So let's pray together as our pastor comes. God, we thank you for how much you love us, so much so that you not only died for us and and rose from the dead for our salvation, but you set in place a way for us to have the Word of God, that we would have that for for now and forever. And so today, as we begin this series looking at you reflected through the book of Revelation, that you'd help us see what we need to see and adjust our lives to, to what you call us to that we respond to you in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. It's December, a month that we all enjoy. Looking forward to celebrating Christmas, celebrating the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I want to ask you a question. How much do you really know about Jesus Christ and who he really is? And the second question is, how are you going to honor Jesus during December? How are you going to honor Jesus during the Christmas celebration? See, I think the average person in America today knows a little bit about Jesus and, and, and has some respect for him, but really the average person doesn't honor Jesus very much, if any at all, during the Christmas season. You know, the, the Hallmark channel has, uh, really, uh, put a big emphasis on having Christmas movies for the last several years. They start them early. They're already showing one right after the other. It's just nonstop. But the reality is, there's very little about the real meaning of Christmas, about Jesus for whom Christmas is named, whom we celebrate. Very little about Jesus in any of those Hallmark movies. There may be a church scene, but the the message of these Christmas movies is about sentimentality, is about family and any more sometimes about promoting uh, homosexual relationships, but it's not about about Jesus Christ. Recently, Candace Cameron Bure, who's a well-known actress and for years a star in many of these, I mean, dozens of Hallmark movies, including about a dozen of their uh, Christmas movies, left uh, the Hallmark company, and she has now signed a contract with a new company to make family-focused movies because she said the, the people who run this other company are Christians who love Jesus, and she wants to make movies that, that have more meaning and that focus on godly values and biblical values and not afraid to show the Christian faith. And I think that's a great thing. This month, what I want to do is help us focus on Jesus. I want us to learn more about who Jesus really is so we can celebrate him the whole month of December as well as at Christmas. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look in the book of Revelation at what it tells us, what it reveals to us about the person of Jesus Christ who we celebrate at Christmas, so go ahead and open your Bible with me to the book of Revelation, chapter one. Now, for me personally, Revelation is a very, very encouraging book, and uh, uh, but I don't think that's true for everybody. I think some people, a lot of people who go to church, struggle to read and understand Revelation, and I believe. Part of the reason for that is when when it comes to Revelation, they think that it's primarily and only talking about the end times. And what I want you to understand from the very beginning is that while Revelation does say things about the end times, quote unquote, that is a very small part of what the book of Revelation is really all about. The book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. It shows who he is in the broad scope of history, if you will, and where we, his people, and his church fit in that history and the setting. The context to properly understand Revelation. Because remember, in, in Bible study, understanding the context, understanding the setting helps us accurately understand the Word of God and keeps us from, from from false teaching. So I want us to think about the setting and the context of Revelation so we can properly understand it and see what it teaches us about the person of Jesus Christ. And here's the context. Revelation was written by the disciple named John. He had been exiled, persecuted, if you will, for his faith to the island of Patmos, a small island in the Aegean Sea located between the countries of Greece and Turkey. It was during a time of persecution in the first century. And he's on, he's on that island and it's the Lord's day and he has a vision. He has a vision in which he sees Jesus. And the book of Revelation is a written record of that vision he has that Sunday while exiled on Patmos. And you'll discover in the first chapter of Revelation that this book, this letter we call Revelation, was actually written to seven very real historical churches located in what today we would think of as Western Turkey. So look with me in Revelation chapter 1 at verse 4. He says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, Turkey and all of that area was referred to as Asia or Asia Minor. And so he's writing to seven churches in that location. Look also in chapter 1 at uh, verse 10. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. We'll discover that is Jesus. And this voice was saying to him in verse 11, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so John Records this vision, sends it as a letter to those seven churches, the same way Paul sent what we call the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, what we call the book of Philippians to the church at Philippi, what we call the book of Colossians to the church in Colossae, what we call the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians to the church in Thessalonica, what we call the books in 1st and 2nd Corinthians to the church in Corinth, what we call the book of Galatians to a group of churches in an area called Galatia, which was located in central Turkey, if you will. So in the same way, Revelation is a letter, a book, That was written by John and sent to those seven churches. And just like Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians speak to us, so does Revelation. But you need to understand its context if you're going to accurately understand its message. And he sends this letter. He receives this revelation during a time of severe persecution. Look at verse 9. He says, I, John, your brother... And fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus. He said, I'm partaking. I'm I'm a participant in this persecution, in this suffering that God's people in that part of Turkey were enduring, just like all the people in those seven churches. And, and he describes in this book then the vision Jesus gives him as a message of encouragement and hope to those churches, to those believers who were being persecuted, and to us today, a word of encouragement. And so we're going to look through this. And see what we learn about this Jesus, whom we love and whom we serve. And so let's look at the vision that he has in chapter 1, starting in verse 12. So look with me, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. After he's told to send this letter, this book, to those seven churches, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool and like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were, the, were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in its strength. And then in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He fell before Jesus and began to worship. Now, let's just think about this vision. This is a vision of Jesus Christ he sees. And Jesus is, is standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. We learn in verse 20 that those lampstands are those seven churches. Remember, the language of Revelation is very symbolic. It's very image uh, heavy. And so Jesus is standing in the midst of these seven lampstands, which represents the seven churches that existed at that time in Western uh, Turkey. And he says he sees the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, one of the common names in the gospels for uh, Jesus. It's the way he often referred to himself. And the Son of Man Jesus is wearing a robe that reaches all the way to his feet across his chest is this golden sash, if you will, the regalia of a king. His head and his hair are white like snow, a symbol of Jesus' wisdom and complete Perfect knowledge. His eyes were, he says, like flames, like a flame of fire burning through, burning through everything. You know, in our cartoons and movies, Superman has that x-ray vision and he can see through walls and so on. And and John is saying that the eyes of Jesus are like a, a flaming fire. It burns through everything, meaning that Jesus can see into your very soul. Into your very heart, into your very thoughts, he sees everything. He knows everything. Nothing is hidden in us, in his churches, in this world. And he judges everything. And he does it accurately because he sees everything. And with his white hair, he has perfect knowledge. He knows everything. And then he said his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace referring to the suffering Jesus endured during his earthly incarnation and now he stands as the king of kings and lord of lords who suffered to purchase our salvation and he says that his voice was like the sound of many waters if you've ever been to Niagara Falls in New York or I've been there, I've also been to Victoria Falls on the border of Zambia and Zimbabwe and Africa. When you stand up against those waterfalls, the power, the, the pressure, the, the thrust, the sound is so loud. It's deafening and it's almost impossible to talk to someone standing beside you. And what he's saying is that Jesus' voice is Powerful. Remember in Genesis 1, God said, let there be, and there was. He spoke and creation occurred. The voice of Jesus is powerful like those waterfalls. He has all power at his disposal. And then he said in this vision that Jesus held in his right hand seven stars. We learn in the last verse of chapter 1, verse 20, those stars, those seven stars represent the seven angels of those seven churches, i.e. the pastors, the pastors of those churches held in Jesus' hand. And out of his mouth, the very next thing, out of his mouth came a two-edged sword referring to the word of God. That's a way it's referred to in other places in the Bible. It cuts like a sword. And his face Jesus' face was like the sun shining in its strength, the sun at its hottest and brightest, telling us that Jesus is the light of the world and he is pure and he is holy. So in that vision of Jesus, John saw on the island of Patmos, what do we learn about who Jesus really is? Well, I want to take a few moments and show you three things we learn about Jesus from this vision. The first is that Jesus is full of glory and full of power. Jesus is all glory and all power. In this vision, it becomes very clear that Jesus is more than a mortal man, more than a good moral Teacher, more than just a religious figurehead, more than a great man worthy of being remembered, that Jesus is more than a weak God who goes along with whatever you think or whatever you feel or whatever you want, that Jesus is more than any political movement or any ideological movement that that Jesus is God in all glory and all power. He is all knowing the white hair. He is all seeing the eyes that flash like fire. He is all powerful. The voice that sounds like many, many waters. He is all holy and he is King, He is Lord, He is God. And so here's the question Who is Jesus in your eyes? Who is Jesus in your heart? Who is Jesus in your thoughts? Who is Jesus in your life? Who is Jesus when you make decisions? Who is Jesus when you decide what is right? And wrong. Who is Jesus when you decide what is sinful or moral and ethical? Who is Jesus in your life? And, brothers and sisters, who Jesus really is in your life speaks volumes about the relationship you do or do not have with Him. Who is Jesus? He's all glory and all power, He's full of that. That's the first thing we learn about Jesus. The second thing we learn about Jesus in this vision is that he is the Lord of the church. And not just what we sometimes refer to as the universal church. He is the Lord of each and every church. He's the Lord of First Baptist Church Rock Hill. He's the Lord of every church that truly, truly is a church that belongs to him. Remember in the vision There are seven golden lampstands that symbolize, according to the last verse of chapter 1, those seven churches located in western Turkey to whom this letter was written and sent. So those seven lampstands, those seven churches... And the son of man, this Jesus full of glory and full of power is standing and walking in the midst of those lampstands, in the midst of those churches, meaning that Jesus is ever present where his people are. He is ever present in each and every church And that he holds those seven stars, those seven angels, those seven pastors in his right hand. And with his eyes of fire, he sees everything. He looks inside every church and sees what is really there good or bad, holy or sinful. He looks inside every pastor to determine, is that man truly a man of God, loyal to the word of God, or is he something else? He looks into the heart and soul of every disciple, every person who says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he knows the truth about you. He looks into the heart and soul of every human being, no matter how spiritual they claim to be, and He knows if they know Him and if they love Him and if they are faithful to Him or if they are not. And so Jesus, with these flaming eyes of fire, looks into those seven churches and those seven angels or pastors there in Western Turkey, and He sends a message to them. He sends a message to them. He sends them the book of Revelation. But in chapters 2 and 3, he also sends a very specific message to each of those churches in which he recognizes the things that this church is doing well and that same church is not doing well. Where this particular church is obedient and where this particular church is disobedient and uh, sinful notice what he says in chapter two look at chapter two verse one to the angel of the church in ephesus write. and he says john here's the specific message i have for the church in ephesus and his pastor look in chapter two at verse eight to the angel or the pastor of the church in smyrna write. and then he has a specific message for that church Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write. And Then he has a message for that particular church. Look at verse 18 in chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right. A message for that church. And then look in chapter 3 at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis, right. And he has a special message for that church. Chapter 3, verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Right. And he has a specific message for that church. And in verse 14 of chapter 3, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Right. So to each of these seven churches, he not only sent the whole revelation, the whole book of Revelation, he sent in these two chapters specific, particular message to each of those individual churches why well because each one was unique each one was in a unique situation each one had their strengths and and their weaknesses, their places where they they were obedient and places where they were disobedient, and 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 simple. And even though they were all located in the same broad geographic area today known as Western Turkey, and even though they were all being persecuted, there were things unique to each one. And Jesus was able to see, and then he spoke uniquely to each church what they needed. To hear, that's our Jesus. Jesus knows, First Baptist Rock Hill, what we do well and where we are disobedient. And he can speak to us. He can speak to every church because he sees and he knows. And he does the same with each of us individually as his followers. And in these special messages to these seven churches, he encourages them. He confronts them. He calls them to repentance. He he encourages them to keep doing good. He he challenges them to turn from their sin. He corrects them when needed. And one example of that is found in chapter 2 of Revelation, starting at verse 19. Look at this with me. He's writing to the church at Thyatira. And he says to that particular church and its pastor in chapter 2, verse 19 I know your deeds. I know your deeds. And your love and your faith and your service and persecution and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. He says, I know all the good that you are doing, but look at verse 20. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants, his disciples, astray so that they commit acts of immorality. He said, you're doing so much that is so good, but you are allowing this false teacher to lead the people in your church astray so that they are guilty of immorality. Immorality is the Greek word pornea, referring to sexual impurity, sexual immorality, sexual sins of all kinds. And I think about today how many of our mainline historic Christian denominations are drifting from belief in the reliability and veracity of God's word. And what God says about immorality, what God says about sex, what God says about sexual identity, what God says about sexual behavior and they're they're drifting from that and they are approving and affirming sexual sins. The Methodist Church, for instance, in America, an historic mainline denomination, is drifting and drifting over, over the issues related to LBGTQ. And there's a Methodist minister who serves on staff of a church in Illinois that often preaches in as a, dressed as a, a drag queen, and he denies the historic, biblical Christian faith, and yet he's held up as an example. And so Methodism is dividing today, as those in that church who believe in the in in the Word of God and the traditional faith and Jesus are are are. Coming apart from that more liberal church that is denying the word of God. And Jesus, listen, Jesus to the church in Thyatira said to them, I'm I'm giving you time to repent because you've allowed this false teaching to exist and it's leading people to, to sin sexually, to be guilty of immorality, of impornia, of, of pornea. And if Jesus were speaking today, that, that double Sighted that two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth, the word of God today would call those who allow sexual immorality, who in the name of God affirm sin. That two-edged sword would call them to repentance. He would call that man who preaches dressed as a drag queen to repentance. He would not affirm that immorality, that sexual sin. And the truth is, whenever a church abandons the authority of God's word and lordship of Jesus and submits to the authority of his word, they cease to be his church. And Jesus has the authority to say what is right and And wrong because it is his church. He said, I will build my church in Matthew 16. He is the Lord of the church. He is the king of the church. And his word is authoritative. And he's Lord of the church. And whenever we get out from under the lordship of Jesus and what he says, we cease being his church. So who is Jesus? He's full of power and he's full of glory and he's the Lord of each and every church. And then one final thing, when Jesus speaks, when Jesus speaks, his words are powerful and they are always completely true. In the vision he gave John of himself, Jesus' voice was like the sound of many waters. As I mentioned, Victoria Falls, Niagara Falls, loud and strong and powerful and out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword. So the word of God that comes forth through the mouth of Christ is powerful and strong and loud and it's true because it comes from a mouth on the head of one who is white who is wise and all has all knowledge you know a sword a knife a scalpel cuts and they can either kill or heal and when jesus speaks through his word He heals those who repent of sin. He heals those who are obedient to what he says, but he judges and he disciplines and he punishes those who disobey what he says, who twist what he says, who argue with what he says. In the book of Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, we're told that the word of God is living and active. It's not just page, it's not just words on a page, living and active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. There's that same language again as found in Revelation. Sharper than any two-edged sword. How sharp is it? He says in Hebrews that it pierces, it cuts as far as the division of the soul and spirit. You can't get inside us more than that. Of both the joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and and intentions of the heart. You see, when you pick up the word of God, When you hear the word of God preached and it's believed and it's taught as true, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and he penetrates to the deepest, deepest recesses of your heart, of your thoughts, of your being as a man, as a woman, as a teenager. His eyes that burn like fire penetrate deep within you. And with his word, he speaks to who you really are and you cannot hide anything from him. You cannot hide anything from his truth, from his word. And what he says, what he says when he convicts, what he says when he calls us to repentance, what he says when he encourages us is always accurate. Back in 1984 in Louisiana, a man named Glenn Ford was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Jump ahead 30 years, 2014, and the state acknowledges new evidence that proves he was innocent the whole time, and he's released from prison after 30 years. Marty Stroud was the prosecuting attorney when Ford was convicted in 1984, and shortly after he was released from prison and proven innocent. This former prosecuting attorney, Marty Stroud, wrote an editorial in the newspaper. I believe it was in Shreveport, Louisiana. And here's what he said. Let me read part of his editorial to you. He said, in 1984, I was 33 years old. This is the attorney who led the prosecution of this innocent man. I was 33 years old. I was arrogant, judgmental, narcissistic, and very of myself. I was not intre- I was not as I was not as interested in justice as I was in winning and as a result Mr. Ford spent 30 years of his life in a small dingy cell. After the death verdict was handed down, he wrote, I went out with others and celebrated. I went out with others and celebrated with a few rounds of drinks. And then he said, that's sick. I have been entrusted, he goes on to say, with a duty to seek the death of a fellow human being, a very solemn task that certainly did not warrant any celebration. And then he wrote, I apologize to Glenn Ford for all the misery I have caused him and his family. I apologize to the victim's family for giving them false hope of some closure. He wrote, I apologize to the members of the jury for not having all of the story that should have been disclosed to them. And then finally, I'll apologize to the court and not having been more diligent in my duty. When Jesus convicts, When Jesus evaluates and prosecutes, when Jesus said you did this or you did that or you did not do this or you did, when Jesus prosecutes us, when Jesus speaks to us, He is never mistaken. He is never wrong. He is never motivated by impure motives. When Jesus speaks to you, when Jesus speaks to me through his word and convicts us of sin and calls us to repentance, he is always truthful. He is always right. And if we are going to walk with Jesus, if we are going to obey Jesus, if we are going to grow in Jesus, if we are going to be right with Jesus, we need to do what John did when he had this vision of Jesus and heard his voice. Fall on your face at the feet of Jesus Christ. If there is sin in your life and the Lord of glory filled with all power, the Lord of every church and every true believer. The one whose word is all powerful and always true. If he is speaking to you, convicting you, drawing you, confronting you, fall at the feet of Jesus right now and worship him. Obey him. Do what he says. Who is Jesus? He's God Almighty full of glory and full of power, who is Jesus, Lord of the church and Lord of your life, who is Jesus, the eternal, powerful word that is always true. And when you argue with what Jesus says, it is always to your detriment, brothers and sisters. I look forward to taking this journey during the month of December and learning more about the one who was born as a baby in Bethlehem because he is so much more than just a baby in a manger. God bless you. I'll see you next time.